Hello, and welcome to CAA Conversations. Today, we are with Elizabeth, also known as Libby McFalls, Professor of Art and Foundations Coordinator at Columbus State University, who uses storytelling as a central theme in her mixed media prints, which examine issues of loss and family. She also serves as Associate VP of Programming of Integrative Teaching International. We're also speaking with Ray Goodwin, Associate Professor of Art Studio at the University of Kentucky, who works in an expanded studio practice that examines aspects of maternal ancestry as it influences the construction of identity, along with gender-based assumptions about freedom, the unknown, and communication. And finally, Dr. Jane Jensen, Associate Professor at the University of Kentucky, who holds a PhD in Anthropology and Higher Education from Indiana University, University Bloomington. And she conducts research on post-secondary educational aspirations and impacts. I'd like to welcome all three of them to the podcast today. They are going to be discussing study abroad courses. And without further ado, I'd like to hand the conversation over to them. Well, thank you, Ellen. Um, speaking for all of us, I think we're excited to take part in this today. And I know that uh, Jane and Ray are currently studying abroad right now, so uh, maybe they can start off by telling us a little bit about what they're doing. Sure, this is Ray. I'm still abroad, but our class is over. Um, it was uh, entitled Navigating the Grand Tour, and we um, worked with our students on the ground in Europe for two weeks as they processed through the Grand Tour route um, and made art along the way. It is an honors class that is a arts and creativity class, um, and they have uh, quite a bit of pre-work to do as well. Jane, would you like to speak to that pre-work in the historical context? Sure. Yeah, this this course came about, um, I have taught a, a, a few different education abroad courses in Europe, and when I came back from the last one, which was a history class on the history of, of the university, um, I said to Ray, they, they just want to go see the Eiffel Tower. And Ray said, well, they just want to do the grand tour. And so that gave us the inspiration for the idea of having the students explore the history of student travel as education as a theme that would underlie the artwork that they were doing on the ground. And so they do about a week, uh, as far as the University of Kentucky considers a week of summer school, they do about a week's worth of work online over the spring semester um, in preparation. And that has them reading about the Grand Tour um, from the 17th and 18th century, reading about um, ex the processes of student travel. They read about the anthropology of tourism and about the history of education abroad itself in preparation. And they, um, the assignment for that is that they create a guidebook entries for sites that would have been on the Grand Tour over the ages. Um, and then in a lot of cases, they go and visit those sites while we're traveling. Well, um, this is Libby. And I, I think just for a little bit of background, um, I have taught abroad twice. Um, and I have co-taught in one of those instances. And one of the reasons that I thought Ray's and Jane's perspective was so interesting is that they're from, you know, very different backgrounds and disciplines. And when I've taught abroad, I have taught with an art historian. So those were a little bit more closely related to the studio arts. 
Um, the most recent study abroad that I completed was um, in 2015, and it was a five-week program uh, based in Florence with um, a few weekend trips and uh, day trips where I was teaching primarily studio art students, but also some uh, general education students as well. And so as I was framing that course in particular, because of the length of time that we were based in one single city, I was really interested in them kind of investigating um, differences and similarities within um, the historical and the contemporary aesthetic. And I frame that um, really around the idea of narrative and beginning to think about how narrative changes based off of not only um, their own personal background, but the, the larger community context as well. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in, in really kind of thinking about and talking a little bit more about how their perspective, Ray and Jane's perspective of, of moving to these different locations um, impacted the students' learning experience. It, it makes them I would very say, tired. <laughs> it does make them very tired, yes. <laughs> and they yeah. work so hard along the way. And I think that the narrative that our students certainly are working with is their own narrative. Their own narrative in relationship to this historical context, in relationship to um, kind of a, a postmodern witnessing of, of tourism and the ways in which the tourist sites are, um, the artifice of tourist sites are now constructed. We actually ask them to, to wander, to not over plan their two to three days in a given city so that they have an opportunity to get lost and found again. And then we also are looking at the um, contemporary practice of map making um, as, as artwork. So they're working in sketchbooks, they're working in photography, and then we do a lot of train traveling. And so on the train, they're working in collage. Jane, what would you have to add to that? I think that the speed at which we hit the different cities almost forces them, if, if they're really engaging in the theme of studying tourism, it really forces them to look at how travel and tourism actually works. I mean, like logistics of it. So while they're trying to wrestle their bags onto a train at the same time, um, and I'm seeing this a little bit in the blog posts that are starting to trickle in that was their final assignment, that they they recognize that the whole process of being a tourist, especially being a tourist on such a fast-paced multi-city trip is, is something that's kind of worth paying attention to. I'm not sure that all of them will get that as well, but um, it is coming up in their in their final assignments, so which is really gratifying because I frankly I wasn't sure <laughs> they were really getting that part. Um, so thank you. Yeah, so to travel as a subject for their um, creativity, but also travel as reflection um, as scholars, not not just as um, what I did on my trip to Europe, but what, who, who am I as someone who is looking at tourism as a topic to be studied? Libby, in the class that you taught, what, what narratives did your students engage in? Well, we, of course, were taking a look, kind of the, the larger scope of the course was taking a look at the differences in the aesthetic of um, the high Renaissance as opposed to contemporary art. 
um, because we, we did go to the Venice Biennale while we were there. And so that was kind of an, an interesting, I think, shift for them to really kind of examine. Um, but on a personal level and um, during the trip, each of the students were required to really give me a proposal of what it was they specifically were going to explore as it related to narrative, as it related uh, to them being really um, a visitor in this place. So when you all are talking about tourism and um, this idea of moving around very quickly, I, I see a lot of overlap in that while they, I think a moment, you know, takes place with the students after they are um, in the city for, you know, more than a week, where they really start to feel like they can belong and identify on some level with the neighborhoods because they were situated in different apartments throughout the city. And they really began um, to reflect. And so some of the proposals, while they all seemed overly ambitious, I thought, <laughs> you know, the students, um, they, they come in and they tell me, oh, I'm just going to continue to explore similar themes in my art making that I've been, you know, completing um, back at the university. But once they're in place, I ask them to, to really consider how just the simple change of location, the light, their relationship with really being foreigners in another country. Uh, most of them could not speak Italian. Um, so those things changed over time what they were working with on a on a personal level but they did they, they were given the ability to create either visual works or written works for the course because i really was um i wanted them to be invested in just really a reflective process each and every day if that was either going to be um, visual collection of information and record or if they were going to be able to achieve that through the written word so i, I when I was listening to you all describe what you were doing, I did I could see some similarities, even though I think the length of time and maybe the, the overall objectives and what they were doing as a studio course may have been different. Um, I see similarities in maybe how we're approaching getting the students to really think about what it means to be somewhere else. Can I interject with a quick question? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. All of these assignments that you're describing sound really fantastic. And I think listeners would be interested in hearing how you came to develop these assignments. If they're um, an offshoot from past experiences, if you worked with a partner to develop them, if they are uh, borrowed from your own personal experience as a student traveling abroad, and so forth. Do you all want to go first? Or <laughs> um, um, so for me, this is uh, Libby. Um, Personally, uh, the, the study abroad trip that I took, the most recent study abroad trip I took part in, the one in Italy, Italy that I was just describing, um, is something that the art department takes part in every other year. And it's generally paired an art historian with a studio artist. Um, so when I was trying to, to think about how, what I could, could bring to the studio art, but also keeping in mind that I needed to recruit <laughs> outside of, of just the, the studio arts. That's when I came up with that visual narrative, kind of thinking about um, ways in which that we can visually break down and articulate what it is that we're looking at and what those different symbols and signifiers mean. Um, 
So for me, I, I was interested in bringing in the contemporary art aspect while I wanted to recognize, obviously, um, the role of of the Renaissance with um, in art history. So I didn't really pull from any past experience so much as trying to to really get um, more of an open-ended way in which the students could think about work without having a whole lot of background because all of us can can talk about narrative. I think that's great. Um, for us, we were um, considering what Jane had done previously in her study abroad class. I never studied abroad. I was an exchange student in, in, in high school, but that was just for a month in the summertime. So um, while I was familiar with travel, I was more familiar with arts and creativity classes, which is a component of our general education program at UK. And so I was thinking about how to des design the studio aspect of the course in relationship to the, the student learning outcomes that were required for this arts and creativity class, um, logic in the field, deductive reasoning, things like that. Um, and also have it something that they could do on the ground that was flexible. So we, I considered, we considered making it just a photography class or just a drawing class or just a collage class. But I wanted to have opportunities for students to try a variety of things to find success in different ways. And um, this year, I even asked a couple of our students um, informally what they thought about that, because I was thinking maybe the next time we do this, maybe limiting it. And they said, no, 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 the three really work well together because some of them didn't like to draw at all, especially the way in which we were drawing, which was gestural and loose because they don't have to have any experience in art when they come to take this class. Some of them fell in love with drawing. Some of them hated drawing. Some of them fell in love with collage, even though they hadn't done it since they were in elementary school. And they found some really sophisticated ways of working with it. Um, and some loved the photography and some did not. So I think the this kind of trifecta is a really um, good approach. And then they actually have online written objectives they ha and criteria they have to meet for each one of those assignments. Mm -hmm. um, we de developed it so that they could have that flexibility. Um, the first time we taught it, I spread out the, the demonstrations, um, but this time we did all of the demonstrations within the first two days on the ground, and that really worked a lot better so that they could be flexible in their daily approach and intervention with the, um, with the art making. Yeah, I, I would reiterate that the, the changing to front-loading the assignment does demonstrations was it, it just reduced the stress level which you know again we're traveling very quickly through a lot of places so there's a lot of travel stress so having having a better idea of the expectations of the course and of the of, of being able to imagine what they're going to be making would really improve things I think that going back to the initial question of um, how do you come to this one of the things that I, I've been doing this for about 10 years now and but pretty much the same, a similar itinerary of, of places. And the, I think the underlying theme of the, this is the third different course that I've done, builds on the idea of, of the city as text or the place as text as, and using that text um, as a way of exploring whatever the, the theme is. So I've, I've done um, the, 
societal impacts of technology. I've done the history of the university and then now this with the, um, the tourist gaze um, combined with the art uh, component. And the using these different locales as a text to be explored and, and to inspire um, a conversation about whatever the theme is, I, I think has worked really well. It's, it's still very difficult to explain to colleagues and even to the students that <laughs> we're not just going on a trip. <laughs> that there's <laughs> the trip itself. And, and I think where we've gotten to is expanding that idea of the city as text into the trip as text. Yes. Um, and if you, if you think of that as the, the trip is the assigned reading, as it were, um, to interpret and explore. I think our colleagues are still going to think that we're full of it, but it, it, it does seem to be working. And and this is Ray, and I will just say, I, I'm not sure if we told, set our route yet, but um, so we start in London, then we go to Paris, and this time we went to Montreux, Switzerland, and then Venice. This time we went to Florence for an afternoon, and then Rome. And we do all of that in two weeks, traveling by train in between cities. So for us, we, we flew directly into Florence and then we took um, a four day trip to Venice. Um, we also went to San Giamano and um, a couple of other just day trips in the region in Tuscany. Uh, but the students, it really is more of an immersion program um, <clears throat> in that five week program where they are paired with two to three other roommates and they're in apartments scattered around the city. So they really do kind of live their life as if they, they were residents of, of the city. Um, and then we have a more traditional structure in that program of morning and afternoon courses. So the art historian I would, that I taught with, she would, would teach in the morning. I would teach in the afternoon and that was two days each week. And then the other two days, um, like Tuesday and Thursday would be spent going on um, field trips within the city. Uh, so it was a four day out of seven day program and the students generally on the weekends took off um, either by train or plane to various cities, <laughs> um, Paris, et cetera. Um, so that can be a little bit unnerving when they take off, but as long as they show back up Monday morning, all was well. Um, Another program that I've taught in in Japan was just a spring break trip, but I found that that maybe was um, was actually very different because we were only there for a single week, actually 10 days. And so I felt like maybe that mirrors this idea of being a tourist a little bit more and the consideration of there, there was even a more, it was more difficult for the students when it came to language barriers and social practices when we were in Japan. That ended up being a, a very good experience for the students. And that was very different for me as far as teaching goes, uh, simply because of the short period of time, the students had to focus just on a singular um, project. And we really were, like I said, more tourists than we were residents of the city. So I, I wonder how how that works for you all. Do you feel, have either one of you ever taught in immersion programs or noticed any differences in the way that maybe you taught or the students, what their reflections were at the end of the trip? 
I've never taught an immersion program. Jane, have you? I, I haven't either. It's interesting because one of the student, one of the assignments that just came in, um, the student chose as her thesis to compare uh, the immersion process that basically the long, the long course versus the short. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she has done both. It was interesting because she, she came down on the side of immersion as being the only true way to acquire a real, you know, kind of, we talk a lot about um, cosmopolitanism and global mm-hmm. outlook. And, and she argues that you need a long immersion to get there. But at the same time, when I was reading this, her piece, I thought, well, I, I agree with her completely. If the goal is to get that emic insider perspective, um, as an anthropologist, I would argue that you, you can live somewhere for you know more than a year and still not actually acquire that perspective. So it's it's a little bit of a of a conceit that the more time we spend, we actually get more immersed. But it does it does have a different experience. What she what she didn't. What, what another student commented on was that because she was, as Ray would say, being present with the idea of being a tourist, that the short trip was okay because that was the goal, was to be about the trip. So I think it depends on what the goals of the course are. Yeah. Um, and how the students approach those goals, certainly. How they sure. interpret yeah. what we say and how... Um, how they're willing um, and, and, and if they're interested in jumping into the experience of, um, of witnessing tourism, of, of, be, of having that kind of postmodern approach of I am present and I am here, but how am I here and how is this scene um, affecting me? Is this scene constructed? How authentic is it? Well, something that... that- Um, I think Jane just mentioned, and and Ray, you touched on as well, is this idea of presence. Because regardless of the type of program we're teaching in and the length, the success of our programs and the interaction that the students have with the location really does, it can come down to just their willingness to be part of something or open-minded, right? This idea of flexibility and um, open-mindedness. So how, how much of an obstacle has that been for you all in teaching? Did you experience any students that maybe had more or less success in their willingness to be present in the moment? Well, it is one of my student learning outcomes, um, <laughs> this notion of presence. And I talked to them quite a bit about it, um, how to, and flexible thinking and open-mindedness, certainly um, as an arts and creativity course, those um, are, are absolutely our primary objectives um, in the making of something. And so um, it, it can be definitely uh, impacted by their previous educational experience. So, so much of our primary, secondary, and higher educational experience tends to be focused on the analytic mind, which is more of a convergent way of thinking, which means there's a right and a wrong. And as we all know, in studio art and this this approach to studio art, there is no one right or wrong. And that is a huge obstacle for students, especially the students that we were teaching who are honor students, who are used to trying to figure out what the right answer is conclusively so they can earn that A because they are all incredibly competitive and with themselves and with one another. And so the the notion when I first mentioned presence, um, I got some eye rolls, some confused looks, 
And then certainly fear is a huge um, human barrier to creativity and thus a human barrier to being open-minded and present in a place that is unlike any place they'd been before. So yes, a barrier for them to overcome, but that is one of the, the student learning outcomes of the whole course and certainly within each um, creativity assignment. Jane, do you have anything else to add to yeah, that? I think that while while Ray would be reminding them and, and re-explaining over and over, you know, because that's necessary, that constant repetition of what it means to expand, what it means to be flexible, those kinds of things, I would at the same time be talking to them, like they tell us their plans. And, you know, so maybe you want to go visit Harry Potter or the platform nine and three quarters or whatever it is. And it'd be like, well, fine, great. Uh, that's that's the site that you're choosing to go see. Just remember, that is a choice. That is a site. Why is that site important to you? You know, treat it with a with a scholarly lens, while at the same time getting your souvenirs and and you know and being the tourist. So, mm-hmm. kind of reminding them about about those goals in addition to. Um, to their own, how they're going to spend their time. I would say, um, and I'm curious about this in Florence, um, with, with the comparison between the different um, eras of, of, of the artwork, one of the things that I noticed is that the students started talking about the art pieces that were on the must-see list in a pretty sophisticated way, even for, even for some of the students who had done very little travel and had no art or art history background. The, like the Mona Lisa, for example, is always kind of this iconic must-see at the Louvre, but they would talk about it as, you know, going as a as a tourist site, but then also starting to explore a little bit about, well, why do, why do people find certain kinds of art interesting to see? And then the Biennale, I think, just completely exploded uh, a lot of their thinking about must-see and art and what it means to look at a piece. Um, so, but I'm curious about how the that worked out for the Florence students. I would say that we probably had a, a pretty similar experience in that they, the students had their must-see list and then a lot of those things were, you know, we went and saw the David and that was ever, kind of the top 10, if you would, were included obviously within the syllabus and these day uh, trips around the city. But absolutely um, something that happened through discussion, through reflection, and written in journal entries was really considering not only why is that now a destination, right? Because some things are destinations simply because we are told they're important. But what made them, I was asking the students to consider what made those um, sculptures or paintings or historical sites important to the people of the time period in which that it was generated and made. Um, so taking a look really at the, um, the political background and in the historical context within Florence, which is um, pretty interesting in and of itself, um, became um, very informative for the students because they were really, I think at times even thinking about the city almost through a detective lens, if you would, trying to, to step back in time between what they were learning um, in their art history class and then the readings, the supplemental readings I was given them 
of more of a, a theoretical lens of, of what was happening and, and how it impacted the society at, at that time. So, yeah, I, I think that those, the students, and I, and I would say not all my students were successful in making those connections and leaps um, within their written works, but the students that did really did begin to kind of grow in the way that they were thinking about narratives in their own artwork, because that, that examination requires them to step back outside of just their own bubble and reasons for creating and thinking about um, viewership, right? People that are viewing their work and how the impact, how their communities at home and abroad impact their aesthetic and their making and the way that they represent things. And so something that, that you all mentioned is that you all were teaching honor students and, and I was not teaching honors group students. Uh, the demographic for our trip was for the most part first generation college students. Like I said before, many of them were studio art students for, for general education. But it was interesting because many of them saw this trip as kind of like a rite of passage because not only was it their first trip abroad, but many of them, their parents had not been abroad unless if they had a military background. So I, I'm curious about, you know, as a percentage, did you all have more students, I guess, that were better equipped, I guess I would ask, um, in going abroad and, and thinking about the differences in context and place? Or did you also have challenges of students that were nervous about getting on the plane for the first time? <laughs> they, were, they were nervous, whether they'd um, traveled with their family or not. First subway ride in... Uh, in London, they remarked to me, aren't you excited, Ray? You get to teach us all how to be world travelers. And they were a little bit freaked out, you know? Um, <laughs> but I think they that a good portion of them certainly had a predispensation to uh, kind of flexibility or privilege within a space, be it just from being American or perhaps be it from having that kind of privilege of, of money within a society or a privilege of kind of academic success within their own um, educational society. So Jane, what would you, would yeah, you add in? say that they are in the honors program at UK, but I would say about, about half of our group, at least half of our group um, were not coming from a high culture background as it were. Um, and I, I use that term because some of them who had some of them had money, so they weren't hurting for cash, but they didn't have any they, they had no nowhere to hang their hat. I mean, they, they really had no idea. I, I was amazed this time, for example, at the number of students who brought currency, even though we explicitly said don't bring currency prepared to use an ATM. They like they nor their parents nor. I mean, they, they really didn't understand about, no, you don't necessarily want to bring $500 U.S. cash. That's not the best way to travel. So little things like that give us an indicator that the little pieces of travel savvy that you might have, even if you just travel around the U.S., a lot yeah, of our yeah. students didn't have. And we did have our first time on a plane. There's always somebody. Yeah, first time yeah. on a plane. In past years, and I've always taught with the honors program, and in past years, I've had 
more students who were struggling financially. And so we, we designed this class as a, on a backpacker budget for students who are strapped for cash, that they can do it as frugally as possible. Um, and in prior years, that's been really important. I've had students who get hungry by the end of the trip. And this time we had some students who were hungry, but not for um, want of money, but just because they were trying to eat out of grocery stores, but weren't finding enough of what they needed and weren't being adventurous enough within restaurants or cafes to order since they didn't understand or know Italian and they didn't take the time to look up any sort of phrases. Um, so they got a little stuck in Italy for sure, but they, they found their way through because hunger was certainly then a motivator. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we, we should probably note that one of the aspects of our course is that we throw them in the deep end when they have a day yeah. off, we just say, okay, bye. See you the day after tomorrow. You know, and no, we, we try to give tips and advice um, if they want it or if they want to listen to it. But generally speaking, they're they're completely on their own to go find food and um, that kind of thing. So that's a little different from other trip courses, travel courses that are so scripted where you're on a bus, off a bus, all eating together, that yeah. kind of thing. In that respect, it's a lot more like your students living in the apartments in Florence. Yeah, and I, I think that those are moments that really we can't teach them, but they, they only have a choice to learn through that process. And I think that those are kind of some of the invaluable moments that study abroad offer students and that they kind of have to, to find their own way because that's something that I really let students know is that after the first day or two, when we're done, we're done. You guys go on your own and, and make your own way. And some something that I also was a little bit shocked by when I was, I shouldn't have been shocked, but I was in retrospect, but um, was um, students' inability or some students not wanting to be risk takers. And especially when it came to food, as you were just describing, uh, certainly I've had students that budgeted poorly, spent all their money within two or three days, <laughs> but sometimes it's just the lack of wanting to step outside of their comfort zone. And something that I learned from one of my colleagues that I've started using in my courses is a food journal, um, which is part of their, um, the criteria for, I guess, being present in whatever context, whatever country we're in, is journaling about the types of foods that they're eating and requiring that they are trying things rather than falling back on, um, you know, kind of just really convenience or junk food, prepackaged foods, et cetera. So that's been something that I found in the trip to Italy that was really invaluable because when I went to Japan, I had some students that were just seeking out McDonald's and Burger Kings and the fast food restaurants that they were familiar with from back home. So I, I'm always a little bit surprised by, you know, college students when they don't experiment, I guess. Or when they want to experiment with McDonald's because they've heard it tastes different in every country. And yeah. so, I, yeah, so I chuckle at them and I say, I'm sure it does, but you don't have to try it. Um, if you really want to see what different things taste like, why don't you go to a, a more local establishment or a chain that is at least a chain that's here in Italy or here in France. 
Yeah, and, and something else that I did to incorporate that within uh, the studio component is that for one week we were just talking about the senses and we focused two days on taste um, when we were just simply going out and trying things and it was almost like a scavenger hunt and that was good for the students because it required them to try local items that they had probably not ever heard of and maybe would have not even thought about giving a shot but um, it also was a great learning experience for them to begin conversations with local merchants and using some of their very basic Italian phrases. And students really did respond to that. And I think that that also, along with that food journaling, helped to break down some of those initial barriers and fears that I know a lot of my students had in the first days that they were abroad. And I think that, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about teaching in Germany in the next couple of years. And I'm going to try and continue that as far as a, a valuable part of the educational process when we're studying abroad. Well, thank you all very much. This was a fantastic conversation and we're really grateful for all that you've shared here today.